Let's give them a hand clap. We love you, Jesus. Glory to God. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, and tell them you look a lot better than the person who sat there last night. Amen. God bless you. May be seated for a moment. God is good. God is good. Now, you men, you heard Brother Carnahan. They're having men's night, special men's night, which you're getting together to learn to be submission. Is it submission? Is submission to your wife? Is that what it is? What was it? Dominion. Oh, I got it. I get it. Is that over the garage or what? Amen. Amen. If you want to interrupt me at any time during this service and receive something from God, please do. Please do. I have seen God do so many things. I was in Bangladesh. I was preaching a conference of thousands. People, you've heard stories like this. I witnessed it. People literally walked for three days came out of the mountains. They had spikes in their ears that were about five, six inches long. And, and God moved in such a wonderful way. Hundreds were healed. It was so easy to preach there. Faith was, was so real. And, and afterwards, we took, we took how many busloads, babe? three, four, five busloads they were riding on top of them to a lake. And me and another pastor were baptizing these people. And it was just, just the greatest conference. But the missionary who was Brother Corbin, you got to be careful with these missionaries. He was standing on the shore, and what he failed to tell me that this lake was filled with cobras, and that's why he let me baptize. <laughs> he figured they need him, but they don't need me, you know. <laughs> there was a man, both Brother Carnahan and I know, his name was Eddie Williams, Sylvia Williams' husband. He was an American Indian, he stood about six foot tall. Him and his wife came into Pentecost, he got baptized, didn't get the Holy Ghost. It didn't stick, Sister McCoy. He got offended about something after about a year or two, and he, he walked off on God. He was a man's man. I mean, he was a hunter. He went down to Louisiana duck hunting. He drove stock car. He did all the, all the things that you can imagine. He was good to his wife, though, and she stayed with Pentecost. She ended up coming to our church, drove 45 miles to be in, in a holiness church. That's what she wanted. She wanted holiness. And she would always say, pray for, pray for my husband. He had gotten lupus. And they put him on prednisone. And so 
he ended up being on prednisone not just a month, not just, not just a year, but literally over five, six, seven years. And the prednisone started to damage his liver to a place where he had to go to the university hospital, which was 100 miles, I think, well, somewhere in there, maybe from Dubuque, every week. And when they would take, they would take a, a tweezer-like or a, a instrument and grab a chunk of his liver and pull it out to look at it, and it was so gray. He now has leukemia. He has lupus. He has leukemia. And I said to him, I met him, I talked to him, I said, Eddie, would you take a Bible study? He said, you know, I think I would. So I drove to Dubuque once a week, went through Search for Truth, got to the last one. I said, Eddie, this is the last time I'm going to be here. And he, he would always let me pray for him at the end of the, the, the Bible study. I said, Eddie, when I walk out that door, I'm not coming back. You have a decision to make. God told me you need to make it now. And you need to do something about your life. We had to be out of town, and Eddie showed up at our church, drove 45 miles by himself to be in service. His wife was in Colorado. He got the Holy Ghost. They prayed for him. He got the Holy Ghost. He, he committed his life to Christ. He went back to the doctor. The doctor came in the room. The nurse came in the room with him. And she had what was the size of, of about three New York phone books files. And it was his files. And that doctor sat down across from him and said, Eddie, we don't understand this. Your lupus is gone. Your leukemia is gone. We don't, and the nurse was just, he said, what about my liver? He says, it's brand new. I'm here to tell you, you serve a God. And if you can have the faith, I don't have to lay hands on you as long as God does. Amen. Now, do you mind if I belabor this just a little more and preach a little bit to you? Where, Katie, where's, where's Lilia? Is it Lila? Come here. You come here a minute. Would you? You have my permission to do something, but you can't do it again unless Brother Carnahan gives you permission. Well, actually, maybe we'll do it this way. I want you to pray for me. Can you pray that I preach pretty? So I want you to put your hand on my shoulder. You put this hand on this shoulder, and you put that in hand. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to pray for me, okay? Would you do that? Do that now. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In your name. Amen. Thank you. God is good.
Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, verse 10. The title of my message is called That. That. Luke 19, verse 10, and if you'd stand for the reading of the word. And then we're going to go to Acts 2.16. Thank you, Sister McCoy, for being sensitive to God and being my lead into this. Luke 19.10. The Son of God is come to seek and save that which was lost. Acts 2.16 and 17. This is the Apostle Peter standing up on the day of Pentecost, talking about all those folks speaking in tongues, talking to 3,000 sinners, and he says, but this is that, which was spoken of the prophet Joel 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and I'm just going to stop there. In the name of Jesus. God bless you. you. May be seated. This scripture in the book of Luke chapter 19 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save, stop, that which was lost, that. This scripture is so greater and so more powerful than, than we give it credit for. In that it's filled with all, believe it or not, but filled with all the blessings and promises of God. That he promised us in his holy word that we were to be recipients of. In its simplicity, the scriptures could be divided into two sections. The lost and the saved. Starting from the place of Genesis, 4,000 years, 4,000, if you would, the beginning of the chapter, lost, 4,000 pages long, coming up to the day of Pentecost, when we hit a brand new chapter called the saved. Amen. The found, if you would. The phrase, that which was lost, is represented by one Greek word, which means has been destroyed, died, or perished. It's gone, folks. And the word that represents not just salvation, and that's, that's what we're after tonight, first and foremost, is salvation, which is dependent on the relationship. That salvation is dependent upon the relationship that we have with God. Amen. But also all the things that were lost along with our salvation. I want you to imagine with me just for a moment that you, you have a home you've bought and paid for. It's, it's got a nice Frigidaire and, and a nice stainless steel stove. And you've got all the greatest appliances and a nice new sofa and Everything's just perfect when all of a sudden you have a house fire. You don't just lose the house, but you lose everything that is in the house. Amen. And then somebody comes up to you out of the clear blue sky, a multimillionaire, and says, listen, I want to, I want to replace that which you lost. 
And they're not just talking about the building. They're talking about everything that you had in that house. God doesn't just want to restore the relationship that you have, that man had with him. Amen. But what God wants to do is God wants to give you a benefits that go along with that relationship. David said in Psalm 68, 19, Blessed is the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits. Even the God of our salvation. In other words, if he is the God of your salvation, then there are benefits that go along with knowing him. Our daddy cares about us. He cares about our well-being. He cares about our health. He cares about our wealth. He cares about all those things. He cares about that which you lost. You see, Adam and Eve, when they were in the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect. I mean, each of them had their own climate zone. Adam was at a comfortable 70 degrees. Eve was at a comfortable 100 degrees. Now, this church, I've got to admit to you, is an oddity. In our church, the women like it all hot, and the men like it all cold. And I asked Brother Carnahan, who controls the thermostat here, it felt so good. I mean, it's been like being in a freezer. I love it. And he said, the women... Role reversal. Because if there's one thing I learned as a pastor in my church, you never let a woman touch the thermostat. You'll be dripping with sweat before you hit the platform. But that's how life was for them. But when Adam and Eve sinned, first and foremost, they lost the loving relationship they had with God. But then they lost that, the benefits that all went along with that relationship. Adam and Eve's sin cost them the benefits of living in God's house. They lost their health. They lost the power they had with God over the world. They lost their safety. They lost their wealth. They lost their peace of mind. They lost their salvation. And it was all because they lost their fellowship with Jesus Christ, with God Almighty. Amen. Then known as Jehovah God. And they lost it because they lost what? What did they lose? They lost faith. That's what they lost. They no longer trusted God, but they trusted a lie from a stranger in the garden. They trusted the devil. And they transferred their faith that they had in God to a liar. Stop and think of that. Amen. And because of that, we inherited a spiritual disease. We have a sin nature. My mama had it, my daddy had it, my grandparents had it, my great-grandparents had it, and it's been passed on down the line from Adam and Eve, that sin nature. Isn't it astounding? I watched a little child that was just here a little while ago, and, and maybe you've seen these pastors. 
I'll watch somebody come in and they'll have this, this child and the music's going and we're worshiping and, and the parents may sit there like this. I've never seen this before. What in the world's going on? I don't get this. And they're not watching their child and their child is standing on top of the chair going, I love this. Do you know why? Because they are not that far removed from their creator. They are innocent and they still feel the personal touch of a creator that made them and loves them. And that's why children are so quick to respond. If we could just be, and Jesus tells us, be as little children. To worship him and to praise him and to love him. Come sit on his lap. That's our God. Amen. But the Old Testament is a story of violence and loss. But God, like most parents, really wants a relationship with his children and strives to do what? To fix things. No parent really wants to be alienated from their child. I mean, you may have to put up with things, you know, to the nth degree. You may go out on a limb for years. You may, you, so I've seen parents bankrupt themselves for their children to a place one day where they say, I got to cut you off. I can't handle this anymore. But you know what? It hurt to do that. Because those parents wanted really to have that relationship. Amen. But we destroyed our relationship with God. We messed it up. And God, what does he do? He wants to fix it. He wants to make it brand new. And whatever he's got to do, he goes to the nth degree. He goes to the extreme. You know why we're so fanatical? Because we serve a fanatical God. What kind of eternal, omnipotent God would come into this world as a human being, allowed himself to be verbally abused, physically abused, stripped naked, suffer shame in front of this world to save a lot like us who don't care? Dear Pete, dear Pete, that God who wants to fix things, that story of loss, but then the day of Pentecost rolls around, 3,000 people are there. Peter stands up and says, this is that. Everything you lost, you are now witnessing as God gives it back. You're hearing the tongues of angels in the mouths. Amen, he's taking us back to the garden, if you would. He's going to make it all brand new. Glory. Glory. He's going to fix it. He's going to fix it. He's going to fix it. Amen. Oh, friend of mine, when we go down in that watery grave, amen, 2,000 years disappear, and, and we end up at the cross of Calvary. And it says our sins are blotted out, and they're nailed to that cross. 
And when we come up out of that water, the blood of Jesus Christ has washed away every sin that has ever plagued us. And then God fills us with his beautiful Malachi, wonderful Holy Ghost Spirit. He gets rid of the baggage of our past and gives us the power over our future. That's what this is about. He fixes things and then he begins to daily what? Load us with benefits. But you got to be tired of letting the devil steal from you. Lie to you. Back you into a corner. He's stolen some of you. He's taken your money. He's taken your children. He's taken your marriages. You've given up hope. Satan has lied to you. Amen. And he's drained you of everything you got. Meanwhile, Jesus is still standing there saying, Here I am, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. I will give you peace. I will give you love, joy, peace, gentleness. I will give you the fruit of my own spirit. Glory. Remember that phrase, that which was lost, what did it mean? It meant to be destroyed. And this is what the devil does. You're watching him do it in your own family and your relatives outside church right now. You're watching them squander their money on gambling, squander their money on things that don't matter. You're watching them put, put at risk their, their marriage. You know, and we did it ourselves. We have no, no place. I'll tell you what, I have no place to be judgmental. I was low as low could be. I had to climb a ladder to scratch a snake's belly. Amen. I know who I was. Amen. I'm here to help somebody else out of life's problems. When I was in Calcutta, we saw the dancing bears, and maybe you've seen them on TV every now and then. But what you don't know is what that bear goes through to dance. They'll put a rod up through its mouth, through its jawbone. And what happens is there's a man there with a leather tether or a chain attached to that rod, and he'll pull on it. That bear will be squatting down and he'll pull on that, that chain. And all of a sudden that, bear, that pain is so excruciating that the bear can't stand it. And that bear will get up and, and what it's really doing is wreathing in pain. And that's what Satan does to us. He gets us to dance for him. He gets us to be in pain. He loves every divorce decree there is. Him and his minions sit back in the peanut gallery poking each other. I got that one. I got that one. You know, he desires to tear everything apart. Oh, my friend, John 10 and 10, the thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they have it. What? More abundantly. That's redundant. 
That's repetitive. Do you think God wants to get our attention by saying more abundantly? God wants you to know that he cares enough about you, that he doesn't want to just give you salvation, and I hate saying just salvation, but that he wants to restore things in your life, that which is lost, hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. I'm sure you heard the old saying about country and western music. If you listen to it, it's all crying, the beer, your beer songs. At least when I was growing up. You lost your wife, you lost your truck, you lost your dog. Then you play it backwards, you get your dog back, you get your truck back, you get your wife back. But that's exactly what God wants to do. My brother Steve... I got saved. My brother Steve came in. He got the Holy Ghost, got baptized. He was in for about a year and a half. He backslid. Had a beautiful wife, beautiful child. Good job working for a car echo. But he went back to his old life. Started doing cocaine, selling cocaine. He came one of the biggest dealers in the tri-state area. That's Wisconsin, Iowa, and Illinois. He did as much cocaine as he sold was the problem. He, we had connections in Chicago, and we had a United steward, flight stewardess who would fly from Chicago to L.A. To, to my other brother who bought cocaine in California. And then they'd bring it back. She'd bring it back over the United Airline. As a result, my brother, his wife, decides, I'm not, I'm not leaving my kid in this house. We're not, we're not staying. She, rightfully so. She walked out on him, took the child. But he's so strung out on cocaine, he can't quit. You know? His job starts getting down on him because his performance is low. He's missing work. So he loses his job. One night he's in a bar, Brother Steve. He walks up to a, perf- a, a, a sinner, a person he doesn't even know, sits down next to him and said, listen, I'm a backslider. But one day, I mean, he's drunk as a skunk. He's high as can be. And he said, but one day I'm going to get right and I'm going to go back up to that Pentecostal church. You never lose this. Never. So he calls my brother up and he says, I'm coming out. He flies out to L.A. They get a limo. They get about an ounce of cocaine. They they party all night long, drinking, snorting, shooting the whole nine yards. They buy a couple of more ounces. They put it in the back of my brother's low rider. They're driving across country. They hit Utah. This is during the Bush administration. And they're cracking down on drugs. Just say no. And he gets stopped in Utah. Nasty, nasty state to get caught. 
They go through the car. My brother Steve admits that it's his, his and he lets my other brother off, off the hook. They kick my brother out of the state. The other one, Steve, calls me on the phone. And he says, Clay, you got to do something. You got to do something. They're going to send me to prison. I got too much coke. I'm gonna go away for a long time. And I said, Steve, if you'll give your life back to God, God will take care of this and he will give you everything you've lost. And I went to, he said, I will. And I went to God in prayer, amen. And I prayed, he appeared before the judge three days later. And the judge says, I don't know why I'm doing this, but you get out of my state. And if you ever step foot into the state, you're going to prison for decades, amen. He got back to Dubuque, Iowa. And you know what? He went to church. They gave him his job back. His wife came back. His child came back. I'm here to tell you, hallelujah, that which is lost, God wants to give you back. If you love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, God wants to take care of that. Woo! Hallelujah. Sit down. If I could encapsulate the book of Job. In the beginning, the devil took his children. The devil took his wealth. The devil took his home. The devil took his wife's faith in God. Told him, curse to God and die. In the end, God gave him back his children. Gave back his wealth. Gave back his house. Why? Because God cares about He doesn't just want you to get saved and live in some, uh, some box under a bridge. Oh, I'm just trying to make it. I'm just trying to get by. That isn't my God. My God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He gets no glory from me living in a box under a bridge. Glory. I'm here to tell you what God wants to do for you is so great, so wonderful, so marvelous. Look at the world, what it's done, done where, where we're at today and how much evil it's done. We have more suicide, more divorce, more sickness, more psychological problems, more alcohol and drug addiction, more financial difficulty, more violence than we've ever had before. And the world's answer to the problems are convenience. Abortion. It's just a problem you're going to have to, you know, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Abort it. Amen. Convenience, no fault divorce. Convenience, here's one more credit card you can max out. Instead of owing 20,000, now you can owe 40,000. Meditating on your problems, medicating your problems. Condoms for teenagers. 
It's amazing the government outlawed Bibles in schools in 1962, but do you know we never had a mass school shooting before 1962? Isn't that astounding? But in, in prison, they promote giving the prisoners Bibles. Wouldn't it be better if we gave the kids Bibles so they didn't end up in prison? My friend, my friend, my friend. Amen. Now we don't have prayer, but we have metal detectors. They don't have the Bible, but they got condom dispensers. They don't have Christianity in the history books, but we've got psychological counselors. You know? So, friend of mine, what, where are we at today? I believe that Sister McCoy is here, and Brother Fitzner, and myself. As a divine plan of God, these folks prayed. Wanda, amen. They prayed about who to come here. Amen. I was the, I was the principal of a Christian school in our church. You, you had to be with, with the program we were running, and so I had to go down to Texas and take principal schooling. You know, and when I was down there, they took all of us in, the, in this large room where there was a couple of hundred of us, and we were from every denomination there was. And they said, do not talk about doctrine. Do not talk about theology. You know, just get along. Just be here for the school. So when lunch rolled around, I had a little black man from the Baptist Church in New York come and sit with me, and, and another guy from Ohio who was the principal of the largest Christian Assembly of God school in the United States sat with me, and the little black man was taking the largest church there was in the Bahamas. And I said, you guys know about the oneness of God? He said, I've heard of it. <laughs> well, listen up. I'm going to pretend like I'm eating, but I'm not. But you eat, pretend you're eating, and you eat, and I'll talk. <laughs> so I told him about Jesus' name, baptism, one sky. All we had was a half hour. And I said, listen, there's so much more. I, I said, will you come to my motel room tonight and, and we can finish this conversation? And they both said yes. So they came to the motel room and I, I shared the oneness of God and, and we went through the scriptures of Jesus' name, baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And that little black man jumps up and says, I see it, I see it. I gotta be baptized in Jesus' name. Yes. Trask, on the other hand, just had his head down. I said, Brother Trask, don't you see this? He said, Brother George, I saw this 15 years ago. He said, I was a Nazarene. My family was Nazarene. My grandparents were Nazarene. We were Sunday schools teachers. My kids, we were raising them in the Nazarene church. 
He said, and then we got invited to a revival at a Pentecostal church. It wasn't, wasn't you folks. He said, we went up front and we got the Holy Ghost. Oh, it was so wonderful. We began to talk in tongues. We were so happy. And we went back to our pastor. We, we wanted to share it with him. And he said, you keep your mouth shut. Do not tell anybody about this. And don't do it in church. He said, Brother George, we sat on our hands for two years until it ate at us so badly we wanted to raise our hands and worship God. But we couldn't. And we left. And then we went to a, a Trinity Pentecostal church. And he said, we got settled in and we became Sunday school teachers and our, and our kids were growing up. And he said, then you folks came along with the oneness in the Jesus name baptism. And we knew it was right, but we couldn't uproot our kids again. We couldn't. We didn't feel like we could do it again. Sometimes God's journey, amen, means breaking a few vessels along the way. I said, Brother Trask, you're ready to do it now? He said, I am. I am. I called a local UPC pastor up and I said, is your baptismal foe? He says, it is. He's, I said, I got a couple of folks I want to back. Now let me back up just a moment. The little black man, when he was in a motel room in New York, he was saying, God, I want more than, of you than I've ever had before. I want to know you closer. I want to be the pastor of this new church like they've never seen and so in touch with you that he got filled with the Holy Ghost in New York, something Baptists don't do, right? He wasn't going to tell me until all of a sudden he saw the oneness. He saw the baptism. I'm telling you, why am I telling you that? Because for such a time as this, everybody in this room is here right now that your faith may be lifted up, that your sight may see what God desires to do. Glory, glory. Everything you've lost. I have five beautiful girls, no boys. You try being a man with five girls, one bathroom. There's a special place in heaven for fathers with all girls. We even had a girl cat. I'd get ribbed by the guys. It takes a man to make a boy. I'd say, yeah, but it takes a good-looking man to make a girl. <laughs> we had three kids. My wife says, no more. I said, I wanted 12. You know, I wanted 12. You know, I want a big family. And it, you know, that's amazing for me because before I came to the Lord, I didn't want any kids. I hated kids. 
My parents would say, isn't it time for you to have kids? I'd say, what do I want a kid for? I got a dog, I put a dish down, it eats out of the dish, and I throw it out of the house. It's still there in the morning. That's a bad analogy, but it's how I thought. So we had three. I finally talked her into having one more. And that one more was actually two in the bread basket. <laughs> Twins. Oh, we were happy. I was happy. She was ticked off for a while. <laughs> but then she started having some pains that weren't normal. We went to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, I think we need to send you to the university hospital. We said, why? He said, I don't, I don't think I should talk to you about this. I think we need an expert. So we went. They did the ultrasound. They did x-rays. The room kept filling up with doctors and specialists. And, and finally, they said, one of the doctors, a woman who was a Jewish doctor, says to us, your twins have what's called twin-to-twin -twin bypass. And, and that means that the valve controlling the blood going from one twin to the other, it, it moves back and forth between the twins, regulating the blood. It was broken. So twin B was getting more blood than twin A, and twin A was basically starving to death, and they said twin B could have a heart attack, and I've never heard of a child having a heart attack in the womb. And I said, well, what are, what are our options? They said, there's experimental surgery in Salt Lake City. You could go do that. And we, I said, well, what's the success rate? And they said, zero. I said, well, that's off the table. I said, what else? They said, you could abort one to save the other. And I said, no, we're not going that route either. And then I said a fatal, fatal thing. I said, we'll pray. And boy, did she get mad. I mean, you would have thought she was a hen and we just threw a bucket of water on her. She stomped out of that room. Every Tuesday, we would drive to the university hospital. They'd put that, that ultrasound on her and check. Week after week after week after week. And if you've ever heard an ultrasound, you hear this. And there's two of them in there making swish, swish, swishes noise, and the hearts are bump, bump, bumping. And so weeks go by, and finally they tell her, listen, you, you have got to take bed rest. You cannot be up on your feet. You can't be do, doing anything. We drive every Tuesday, and we're hearing less swishing, less bump, bump, bump from one of the babies. And every Tuesday, we'd go home crying. It would say this, they're not my kids, God. They're your kids, and they're on loan to me. And if you take them, 
then we know we will see them on the other side. And I personally believe, I, this is up to you, but I believe that a child that dies to an apostolic will appear in glory in New Jerusalem because they are under the sanctioned umbrella of holiness as an innocent to that parent. Then one day we went. We were there nine hours as they're looking for a heartbeat and for the swishing. There's only one. It's a little slow. And they keep searching and keep searching. Another shift of nurses come in. And they're searching. It's went from morning to night. It's dark out. Finally, the nurse goes, just go home. We knew, we knew what they were saying. The child's dead. So here we are, headed home again, saying, God, it's your kid. We're just stewards of everything you give us. We're benefactors of your goodness. Lord God, but please, if you would, we'll, she belongs to you, but we would like to have her even yet. We came back the next week. The nurse lethargically came into the room slowly put the ultrasound on my wife and all of a sudden we heard two swishes like a marching band the nurse looked at the monitor took the head off the ultrasound put a new head on it checked her again John Philip Sousa was in there She got on the horn, called somebody, a doctor came in. The next thing you know, he took the head off the ultrasound, put a different head on. He looked at it, looked at her, looked at us, looked at her. He picked up the phone, he called some. The next thing you know, the room is filled with doctors. And they said, Mr. George, Mrs. George, we can't explain it, but your children have grown pounds in a matter of one week, and their hearts are beating strong. Amen. I'm here to tell you that everything that you have lost, God wants to give it back to you. You need to expand your vision. You need to exercise your faith. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all that shall be what? Added unto you more abundantly. Would you stand? You remember Anna, Steve? I'm sorry, Brother Carnahan, please forgive me. I, I, we're just friends, and I just 
sometimes slip up. Brother Carnahan, do you remember? I don't know if you remember Anna. Anna came to church. I knew her on the street. She was a prostitute. Her pimp's name was Hank. He could be pretty mean. She stole something from him one night, and he took her out in the woods with a coat hanger, stripped her down and beat her with a coat hanger, and then, then carved his initials in her. Brought her to the bar where we usually partied, made her sit naked on the floor, and if she didn't say I'm his punk fast enough when we walked up, he would slap her alongside the head and send her flying. She was a fairly good-looking woman, but she had all these nasty, cheap tattoos that she drew on herself. You know, the old skull and the, the dagger business. 1950s, 1960s, that was what cutting is today, was those tattoos and cigarette burns, of which I have. Hannah walked into our church one day. And she walked down to that at the altar call, walked down to that altar, gave her life to Christ, repented of her sins, got baptized, got the Holy Ghost, and a glow came over her. I mean, here was a woman who had been abused by a half of Dubuque, Iowa. And there was a man in our church named Richard. Remember Richard? I, got, I doubt the guy had ever been on a date his whole life. Just the nicest, sweetest guy you ever... And guess who he fell in love with? With Anna. She got her integrity back. She got her virtue back. He didn't see her as some woman off the street abused to be thrown aside. He saw her as somebody virtuous. He saw her as somebody who he would have spent the rest of his life with. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here. Thank you, God. What has God stolen from you that you would like back? Are you wrestling? Are you wrestling with your emotions? Are you having to, to take pills every day to try to keep ahead of the game just to deal with today's life? And I'm not condemning that, please don't get me wrong, but I'm saying that, the, that Jesus can help give you back what you lost. Did you go through the family fortune and now you're lucky you can get a job at McDonald's and you're 40 years old? I'm here to tell you that God can give you a good paying job with good benefits. I'm here to tell you that which you lost, God can take care of. And as our friend Kara McCoy so, so, so wonderfully said, 
If you need that relationship with Jesus Christ tonight, that the infilling of his precious Holy Spirit, then I invite you to come to this altar right now and yield yourself to God and let God do the miracle he wants to do. But if there's anything else that God can do for you, then come down here right now and ask, amen, with faith in Jesus' name. Come on, come on. Let's not hesitate. You just come. That's the Lord that's asking you to do that now. Come on, come on to me.